morning from Rick Bonfin Ministries. I'm Betty McKinney, and I'm glad you've joined us this Tuesday morning. We are in John chapter 20, and um, Pastor Kyung Kim was with us last Friday, I believe, he taught, and he started uh, us out in John chapter 20 um, with verse 1, which we're, I'm going to go ahead and read so we can kind of get a running start here. Ha, running, I'm going to talk about running. <laughs> now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And Kyung gave us a wonderful message. If you didn't see it, I would urge you to go on to our, our website at ladderrain.com. That's like latte rain because it only has one R, ladderrain.com. And look um, at last Friday, Pastor Kyung Kim, and listen to his wonderful message about that. He talked about Mary, who we know from just, we didn't, the miracle is not recorded, but it's alluded to that she had had seven demons, and she'd lived a life of darkness and oppression, and she was so radically changed by Jesus, and she loved him so much because of what he had done for her that she's the one who came early to the tomb. She just couldn't stay away from Jesus. She couldn't stay away from finding out how he was. And she found a surprise. There was no stone. She came expecting just to see the tomb as it had been been left. Um, and we know that from other accounts in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark, there were other women also. So maybe they came sort of in groups Or maybe Mary just went aside from the other women. We don't know why only Mary is named here in the Gospel of John because we know that other women came too, other Marys, in fact. But the point is, she came early. She was eager. She was desperate. She couldn't stay away from Jesus. This this reveals her heart and her, her passion for him because of what he had done. So then it says in verse 2, And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which we know is John the Beloved, John the writer of this gospel and of the book of Revelation. She ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, John, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So we see that she ran. She, she came early to the tomb with desperation and urgency. She went with urgency. She ran to Simon, Peter, and John. Her desperation for Jesus banishes all fear. Do you see that? Everyone's afraid because of what's happened in Jerusalem and because of the um, brutality that came upon their Lord, their Master. So they're all afraid of the Jews and hiding and scattered. But her desperation for Jesus banishes all fear for herself. And that's that's what I really want us to look at today, that I think God wants to speak to some of our hearts that have been feeling kind of complacent, lethargic, tired, worn down, weary. He wants to stir something up in us in times that we might want to just kind of hide away from to say, no, I want you to have this kind of urgency, desperation that banishes personal interest and personal fear. Why did she run to Simon Peter and to John, these two? Um, Some commentators say that they may have been staying at least that first night, first and second night, 
nearer than the other disciples, probably John's home where Jesus' mother was also staying because we get that from John 19.27 when Jesus speaks from the cross to John and it says, Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her, Mary, the mother of Jesus, into his own household. So perhaps she went there because that's where Mary was and that's where she knew John and Peter were. But let's, let's, let's get a clue here, and I want some input from my, my uh, colleagues here in the room. It said when she ran and came to Simon Peter, she was disturbed, and she says, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. What does that tell us? What do you infer from that instantly? John's going to give us an answer. Well, Mary's initially thinking somebody stole the body. Yeah. Somebody took the body and moved it. Right. The physical corpse. That's right. Of Jesus. Yeah. So they do not yet believe that he's raised from the dead, do they? Right. All their their first conclusion is someone stolen him and they have laid him somewhere else. They did not yet believe Jesus was resurrected. They just thought he'd been moved. So what is the response of Peter and John? Peter, verse 3, therefore went forth and the other disciple, John, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. So now we see Peter and John catch <laughs> what Mary Magdalene has, that they, they are drawn to Jesus to find out what's happened to our, our Lord, our beloved Lord. And above their fear, and, and what would cause them to hide behind closed doors. They, they ran. They did not walk. They ran. And it, the, the scripture, maybe this is John bragging on himself because he's the one who wrote this. Hey, I, I, won, I outran Peter. You know, he wrote the book, right? But we see John having a nature that he's more tender. He's more reserved. He's the one who, who leaned on Jesus' breast at the, um, <clears throat> at the Passover Seder. Um, Peter's the feisty one, right? So we see that the love and concern that John has for Jesus compels him above his personality to run faster. Um, There's a reason everything's put down in Scripture. Why do we have this documented that he ran faster than Peter? It shows us that, that God can take us when we're in our worst place, which they definitely were, they were at the worst place they've ever been in life. Here they had followed this wonderful, wonderful teacher, partaken in his miracles and his ministry, and then they have just gone through the most horrendous week of human history with him. And they are in their worst place ever, totally defeated, confused. They still don't think Jesus is alive. They think he's gone from them. But when you're in your worst place, that's when God can get a hold of you and desperation propels you. It's not always a bad thing. If you're feeling today like, man, I'm in a much worse place than I was a year ago, two years ago. I didn't think life was going to go. I didn't think 2020 was going to be like this. <laughs> um, I'm, just, I'm just not in a good place mentally, physically. I think a lot of us are feeling that way. It's not always a bad thing because God, God wants to stir up desperation in us 
And that's what we see in Mary. That's what we see in Peter and in John that caused him to run even faster than good old Peter. He was so desperate to know what's happened to to the Lord. Um, Desperation, folks, isn't always a bad thing. And one of my mentors over the the span of my life and study has been Derek Prince. And he taught me a long, long time ago that when people would come to him for spiritual counseling, and then they would all they would have is an argument to defend their problem <laughs> instead of wanting to receive healing or help. He would say, "You're not desperate enough. Come back when you're desperate." And um, yeah, so I, I can see this in myself. There are just times that I know I'm not desperate enough, and that's why God's not interested in doing much for me. He'll wait till I feel desperate. Amen. So today, I mean, these days. We're looking at fires on the West Coast. We're looking at hurricanes in the South. We're looking at just ongoing darkness and violence, injustice, and I mean, the word division, brutality, the words are non-ending, anger going on in our nation. And we say it's bad, it's all bad, it's bad, bad. Yes, it is. And there's much evil out there. But God is always working for good. And could it be that in this storm, God is working in the storm. That he is working to make us wake up from complacency and to increase our desperation. Because of that great temptation that I, I confess to, I'm, I'm the poster child here of just wanting to hide away like the disciples did, of just wanting to isolate, become complacent, discouraged, and just withdraw. That Those... those um, are not attributes of the Spirit of God. <laughs> That's the flesh. <laughs> That's our default, right, under pressure. So God, I believe, and I want to encourage you today, when, if you are feeling, I'm just not in a good place, I just can't take what's going on, God is at work, and he, want, he is calling to his people to run, not walk to him, to get desperate. So I think it's it's. That's what jumped out at me as I started doing the studying is how Mary came early, how she ran to the disciples, how they ran to the tomb. There's something in that that pleases the heart of God that he wants to see in us. Amen? Um, God is calling his people to be desperate. Jesus always was drawn to people who were desperate. And I have three different um, miracles out of the book of Mark. And I think, John, you have those. The first one is Mark 2, 1 through 5. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four, carried and when they could not come near unto him for the press they uncovered the roof where he was and when they had broken it up they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay when jesus saw their faith he said unto the sick of the palsy son your sins be forgiven you (laughs) that's the king james um (laughs) way of telling the story about a man who was paralyzed and the desperation was so great they couldn't get near the house the house was packed. The house all around the yard was packed. So they climbed on the roof. 
And I just love this. Jesus standing there teaching and suddenly there's debris falling on his head. And if you've been in Israel and you've seen like in, in Nazareth Village how they, they do a reconstruction of what the roof, the thatched roof was made of, it's no small thing to cut through all those um, beams of wood and then the straw and the mud and everything that made her and so all of this is falling on Jesus' head as he's talking so it doesn't bother him a bit instead he loves it he lo- and then they lower the man down in front of him he, that is called desperation that's called I will run I will climb a roof I will get to him no matter what it takes and Jesus loved it <laughs> there's another one um John in Mark 10, another desperate man that Jesus loved. Jesus was attuned to his voice above all the clamor going on. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus... Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise. He calls you. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What will you that I should do unto you? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go your way, your faith has made you whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Amen. So out of all the people and the beggars and the camels and the donkeys and the clamor, Jesus hears a voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He heard desperation and then he said, call him to me, and here comes blind Bartimaeus. He can't see, remember? What did he do? He ran to Jesus. <laughs> a blind man running. <laughs> desperation. Amen. Jesus loved to see desperation, as opposed to, say, the man by the pool of Bethesda who said, well, I don't have anyone to put me into the pool, and he just had excuses, and, you know, he was a victim. Jesus loved when he encountered these people that would run to him even though they're blind. You <laughs> can't see where they're going. What about Zacchaeus who was willing to climb a tree because he was too short to see over the crowd? He said, I'm going to your house today. You're the one that has caught my attention because of your desperation. Um, then there's one more, John, the Canaanite woman, which I love this story, how Jesus seems to be ignoring her but actually he is proving, showing to us something he likes in a person. <laughs> and that's Mark 7. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. And Jesus answered, and she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go your way. The devil is gone out of your daughter. Yes. So he first acted like he didn't have any interest. He wasn't going to heal her. But when she came back and said, Hey, even the dogs get a crumb. <laughs> he liked that. He liked her desperation, her chutzpah. 
<laughs> as opposed to just, okay, I guess God doesn't want to do anything for me, you know, just that attitude. Um, God loves desperation, and we need desperation. We need it. Um, I love Psalm 103. It was my mom's favorite psalm. And um, David here says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Why, why does he say that? He's telling his soul, Bless the Lord. You need to. <laughs> it's because he didn't feel like it. <laughs> so sometimes we have to say, Soul, bless the Lord. Stop complaining. Stop just wimping out. Stop just feeling defeated or like a victim. And just start blessing the Lord. <laughs> Any comments? Any okay? Because we don't feel like it, but we can't. We can't do this on the basis of our feelings. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's a command in a way, and it's not really a mean command. It's actually a command that Good. blesses us. It's sort of the idea that, um, you know, do you have to feel like obeying before you obey? Oftentimes, if you choose to obey, then your feelings will follow your Amen. choice. You know. yeah. Amen. Okay, so let's let's get a few more verses um, in this John 20, um, starting with verse 5. And stooping and looking in, he, meaning John, because he got there ahead of Peter, remember? He saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter therefore also came, following him, and entered the tomb. I can picture it because I've been there at that tomb. And he beheld the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. This this detail here is very fascinating. Um, Now, the linen cloth that it refers to is the linen cloth of verse 40 of um, John 19, where it says, they, meaning Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. So they see this linen wrapping there, and they see um, it very speci- the Bible records very specific details about what was done with it. If you were a forensic investigator, <laughs> what you would see here, if you were John and Peter and they were forensic investigators, would tell them a lot of things. Number one, think about it. The linen was there. If Jesus' body had been stolen, they would have just taken him, bundled up in the linen, wouldn't they? It would have been a hasty thing where they just picked up him and the linen and the spices and put him on a cart and took him off to another place. But the linen is there. So that's the first thing a forensic investigator would say, hmm, This is not your normal theft. (laughs) Something else went on here. Secondly, Jesus had made his bed. All of you out there, I I hate to make my bed, but I do. Um, But they saw that it was folded neatly. That's not a normal crime scene, is it? If a crime had been committed, it would indicate haste and maybe things kind of scattered around as they just hurried to, to commit the crime. But what was done was done with precision and intent. Now, I don't know what happened to all the spices. They don't say anything about the spices because he was wrapped in 100 pounds of 
spices that Nicodemus and Joseph brought. But, um, and I don't know, once the spices were gone and the linen was gone, what was Jesus wearing? <laughs> he must have had to manufacture some kind of a garment before he went out of the tomb. There's just a lot of things in here that were basically, obviously, supernatural. That's my point. A good forensic investigator would say, this isn't natural. This, isn't, this doesn't fit a crime scene. Something other than a crime of stealing a body, a corpse, has gone on here. Because um, where's the spices? And the third thing is, when the body was wrapped, he was wrapped with his arms at his side. How could he have even, even if Jesus survived the cross and he wasn't actually dead? As that's what some people have said. That's one of the heresies out there is that he survived the cross and he somehow got out of the tomb. He didn't really die and he didn't really raise from the dead. That's, that's one of the heresies out there. But the way that the body was wrapped, you would be incapable of unwrapping yourself. Yeah. You know, John. Well, and just after being beaten and hung on the cross and stabbed with a spear... You know, and bloodied. I mean, it would be physically impossible yes. for Jesus to yeah. get himself up, move the stone, walk. I mean, he could <laughs> yeah. probably couldn't even crawl out of the tomb if he had wanted to at that point. Amen. You know, it's just like people who say it wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea. It wasn't really a miracle. Yeah. It was just this little sea of reeds. Pe- people will say that is one of the heresies out there and um, um, that and other groups like Muslims explain away the cross and the resurrection but he could not have even unwrapped himself or had the strength to get out so again it's obviously something supernatural has happened all of these signs are signs of a miracle verse 8 so the other disciple who had first come to the tomb John is like to kind of bragging on himself I got there first don't forget <laughs> the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also, and he saw and believed. That's what we're trying to get to. <sighs> Believing is a process sometimes, isn't it? We can believe and yet not understand at all. He, they didn't understand what had happened, but suddenly he believed. It still didn't all make sense what's happened. They still don't know where Jesus is, but the the evidence of a miracle of something supernatural did something to his soul and he believed but he still didn't know yet all the facts and that's that's good news because it tells me that there's many things i don't understand but i still can believe in god and his word isn't that good news many things i don't understand and in fact um philippians 4 7 is is something that i reference all the time Um, it says it so clearly it says the peace of God which surpasses all understanding or comprehension or perception or thought or reasoning the peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus in other words peace is much better than understanding Mm -hmm. if you can only get peace if you understand everything you'll never get peace If you'll only believe when you understand everything, you'll never believe. Peace is much better than understanding. 
Stop trying to understand and just say, God, I need your peace. I need to simply believe that you are who you say you are. Your word is true. Even though I don't see yet all the pieces and parts and how it all works together. And peace will come. What about also Ephesians 2.8? Cindy, you have that. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Yes, it's a gift of God. So that's what happened to John. He ran to the tomb with this urgency. It was because of his heart, that, that his heart for Jesus. He saw the forensic evidence that something out of the ordinary, something supernatural has happened here. He still did not know what, but he believed. And that's a gift of God when God just gives us that faith. And, and this encourages me because even the disciples who had been with Jesus all this time, they came to believe slowly. Not only what Jesus had told them specifically was going to happen, but they began to believe the scripture. And that's Psalm 16, um, 10 and 11. Cindy. Mm-hmm. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Okay, so the scripture has said, that's a messianic psalm, that his body would not undergo decay. Yeah. So this begins to be quickened to them. These are good Jewish boys. They know the scripture. So the word of God that, you know, this is what happens when faith starts to grow in us. Stuff that God has placed in us for years and years and years that seems to have been dormant suddenly kind of springs to life. Isn't that so? And I believe that's, they remembered the words of Jesus. They remembered the words of scripture that was just treasured in their heart. And it started, oh, this is that. (laughs) They're beginning to believe, but it's coming slowly. It's a process. Um, verse 10 no I'm going to let me start with 8 and then finish here so the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead so the disciples went away again to their own homes so there's much more to come in the next few days <laughs> tomorrow Mary will meet and speak with the risen Savior in the garden. Then Jesus will appear in the upper room, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. He will appear in the upper room with the disciples. They receive the Spirit. It's the first New Testament salvation. And then um, a few days later, they run away to Galilee, and Jesus appears there, and he restores Peter. So there's, there's much more to come, but they, have be, they do not yet understand the Scripture but they're beginning to believe. You know, with everything that they've gone through in this most horrible week, the rejection of Jesus, the arrest, the crucifixion, the the mob screaming for his crucifixion, the, the forgiveness he extended from the cross, and now this evidence of resurrection, it's too much for them to wrap their minds around. It's, it's too awful and too wonderful to be true. They just can't take it in which shows us that evidence can be right in front of us. We have Jesus' own words, we have God's word, but still faith in 
what's real and true needs to grow in us. Any thoughts about that? Am I am I making a point? Yes. Okay. Yes. Right, is it coming through? Yeah. Cindy. I'm um, I'm thankful for the desperate times in my life because I mean I honestly don't know where I'd be without them. Yeah. Um, it even though everything it looked like it was falling apart around me, um, when you even though I had not seen things in the past like when I first started experiencing the desperation in my life like. I can't do this anymore, God. You have to do this. You have yeah. to show me how to live my life on earth only with you mm-hmm. <laughs> and not with anything else, not dependent on a job or or a spouse or, you know, friends or whatever or even your church. Yeah. Just him. Yeah. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. Great testimony. And I've seen the change in you. I mean, I've seen how he brought you from desperation to where you are today. And you wouldn't be here today. If it wasn't for that. So, amen. Don't. So, great. Um, that, that just really helps me, you know, wrap this up. Allow God to make you desperate. What Satan means for evil, evil times and darkness and pressure, God means for good. Jesus told the Jews in, um, he told the, the leaders of the Jews in Matthew twenty three thirty nine. You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what he's basically saying is, you you leaders of the Jews who are the hardest hearts on earth, the ones who demanded that the Savior be killed, God is going to oppress, press, press, press Israel, and especially the religious leaders, until they cry out for him. And when they cry out for him and say, Come, we do receive you as Messiah. Then he said, then you'll see me again. That's what he's working with with Israel today to make them desperate that they don't depend on their IDF and their Mossad and their resilience to just keep on overcoming. You know the definition of a Jewish feast is they tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat. You know, They just survive and survive and survive and they have pride in that. But God wants to break that pride down to where they cry out to him. And then He'll come. Jesus will come again. Desperation is a good thing. <laughs> it's good to get to the end of yourself. Um, I'm reading The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer, a wonderful, wonderful classic. And he talks about how God is just drawing you all the time drawing you, drawing you. And we see that in Mary, and we see it in Peter and John, that they're just, their hearts were just so drawn to Jesus, they couldn't help themselves. And I want, I want more of that. As I'm reading his book, I'm saying, God, make me want to pursue you more. Sometimes God seems to step back because he wants you to pursue him. You know, we're like, God, why don't you come to me? He's like, no, I want you to have that desperation to pursue me. It's good for me. If God is stepping back, it's because he's he wants something good for you. He wants that hunger and that thirst. So you can start to say, Lord, make me thirsty. Lord, help me want you. Lord, help me be more desperate for you. And and don't let the devil condemn you, okay? Because your faith falls short. Um, we, we all go through these seasons of highs and lows. But it's, it's been a low season lately. <laughs> and um, I just want to encourage you today 
to examine the evidence <laughs> that God is still in the midst of the most horrible times. He is doing supernatural and miraculous things. And ask God to grow your faith in the midst of all that's happening and give you a desperation. Even though you don't understand, you don't have to understand. Don't reject the deeper things of God, the realities of God, because you don't understand. Understanding is overrated. It's desperation and just saying, Lord, I believe. Soul, bless the Lord. <laughs> Amen. I hope you got something from this today. Thanks. John will be with you tomorrow to bring you to continue the story. See you tomorrow.